So if you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to start in Genesis. We're only going to read a few uh, verses today. And I want to do, I guess you could call it like a character study uh, of someone that we found in the Old Testament. In fact, this person who we're going to talk about today is the seventh born from Adam. So a long time ago. And that would be Enoch. Some of you may be familiar with that name. There's actually very few verses that talk about Enoch. And that's part of why it's a mystery. The other part of it is, we'll find out here in a minute, it does not appear as though he died. Only one of two people in Scripture we see this, uh, which is very unusual to say the least. But Enoch lived an unusual life. And I want to talk about him this morning if we can. So in Genesis chapter 5 is where we're actually going to be at. Genesis chapter 5. We find the first mention of him in verse 21. Genesis 5.21 says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Wow. How many of us would like to be able to say that about us? Boy, that would be nice. Now, walking with God, um, we see this concept in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is not something that's new to many of us. It's this idea that we're going to uh, continuously engage with our Lord and Savior. And it's certainly among many, many other areas where we get the clear understanding that God is a personal God, that God is someone who we can communicate with. Both we can speak to him and someone who will communicate back with us. As we've talked about, this is a, a two-way street, if you will. This is a, a friendship, an opportunity for us to know him and for him to know us. And we even see in the New Testament later on that this is mentioned over and over again, that God knows us and we know him. And so when we see here that Enoch walked with God, this is very important. There's three main things that we see about Enoch. And the first one is that he Walked with God. There's a couple other translations that I'll read that might help you understand this better. One says, Enoch was well-pleasing to God. So his activities, the things that he did daily, again, walking implies a daily relationship. It was well-pleasing to God. Another translation says, he spent his life in fellowship with God. Now, we mentioned this, I think, last Sunday or the Sunday before, or maybe both. We talked about if you have a relationship with someone and you know all the things about them, but you don't communicate with them and have them talk back to you, it's not really a relationship. You know about somebody, but you don't actually know them. And so this idea that Enoch had a daily, continual fellowship with God is wrapped up in the phrase that he walked with him. The literal interpretation says it this way. Enoch habitually walks with God. Now, there's two really interesting things here. One is this idea of habitual. That's something that we're going to do every day. And so as we become uh, Christians, as we are saved, we are then uh, required and hopefully want to do, uh, have our walk with him every day. There is no mountaintop where we get to the final pinnacle and we can just, all right, we've had success in our life. We've done this, and so now we can just sit down and quit. It is an 
act that we do every day. It is something that should be done habitually to walk with God, to talk with him, to commune with him. But the other thing that I thought was interesting when you look at the very literal translation of this, it's plural and present tense. Enoch habitually walks with God. Why is it present tense? Because the scripture tells us that he's not here, but he also didn't die. Now, we don't know exactly what's planned for Enoch. There are some uh, thought that he might be brought back with Elijah near the end of time to be a prophet for, for, uh, for the end. And that's likely, but we don't know that for a fact. But whatever went on there, we know that he pleased God by walking with him, habitually doing what he was supposed to do every day, so much so that God took him and he's no longer with us. Now that may seem kind of, I don't know, not depressing per se, but quite a challenge that none of us can live up to. And I think the answer is that's probably true. But there's also something peculiar in here that you might miss. At the beginning, it says that Enoch had lived 65 years. Now in that day before the flood, there were, people were living a whole lot longer than they do today. But he lived 65 years before he had Methuselah. And if that name rings a bell, you remember that Methuselah was the oldest person in the scripture. Maybe that was a Sunday school quiz question or something. So he fathered Methuselah. But if you notice in verse 22, it said, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. I can read a little into this and say that whatever Enoch was doing for 65 years before Methuselah was born, his son, wasn't classified as walking with God. And in all honesty, this should give us a little bit of hope, those of us who've been walking for a few years, but maybe not with God. There is an opportunity at any moment for us to engage with our Lord and Savior, and then from that point forward to walk with Him. So whether it was that He was saved by His faith looking forward to a Savior, as we are saved by our faith looking back to the one who came, Maybe he was saved at 65, I don't know. Maybe he was saved young, younger than that, but finally realized what life is truly about at the age of 65 and set about with intention to habitually walk with God. But whatever it means, if you are here today and you are not currently walking with God, there is an opportunity for you to begin. And I keep using this word walk, and for many of you I've mentioned this verse before. Amos 3.3 is a very short verse. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? This is a really good question. And it's getting at this idea. In fact, I use this often when I talk to couples, uh, especially before they're married. And I ask, what are the things that you agree on and things you don't agree on? Many times in life, we have things that we agree and don't agree on, and they're not a huge deal. But sometimes there's very important things that we need to discuss and make sure that we are agreed on. And so the question here, when applied properly, if the goal, if Enoch's example is that we are to walk with God, then the question is, how can we walk with God unless we are in agreement with God? And let's make sure we don't change the power dynamic as we like to do. We would often want a God who agrees with us, with me, but that is not at all the way that it works. Because he is God, because he made everything in the world, because he made me and has complete control over me, I must make sure that I am walking according to his way and his will, that I agree with him. 
We've come dangerously close as a society, repeatedly, over and over again, to remake God in our image so that we don't feel so bad the way that we're walking. We do this all the time. It's just a little lie. It's just a little money that I'm appropriating from my business because I've earned it. They're just not paying me, right? And all of a sudden, we start doing these little things, and we try to make God walk with us. When the reality is God is God, and God is who he is. God is on a straight and narrow path. There is no left or right for him. And our job is to walk alongside him, not try and bend him to my will or my desires. We must be very careful. If we're going to walk together with God, that we walk according to him. So the question is, do you agree with God? Because if you do, it might mean that you should start doing some things you haven't been doing. Do you agree with God? Because if you do, it might mean you should stop doing some things that you've been doing. It's one thing to know the truth. It's entirely something different to actually do what the truth is. And God very clearly wants us to be doers of the word. And so I I include this because if we're talking about walking with God on a habitual daily basis, then we can't just know the truth and walk with him. We must do the truth as well. James 1, 22 through 25 says this, but be, notice what I, I say here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he is like, what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so that's a a long way to basically say this. It is one thing to know what you're supposed to do. It's an entirely different thing to know and then to do that thing. That's why I said some of us have things that we ought to be doing. Some of us have things that we ought not to be doing. And some of these things change over time. Some of us have temporary things that we should be doing and other times things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we're really quick to jump to, well, there's a sin in my life that I shouldn't do or there's a good deed that I should do. And some of those times those are correct. But as we talk about teaching and other positions in our church, some of us need to do those and some of us need to decline doing those. It is up to the Lord to help you know which way to go. And so it's not always just about the sin that's in our lives. It's about the things that we are to do. It's about the seasons that we go through. Are you doing what the Lord has laid on your heart to do? Or are you holding back from him? If we are to walk together, then we must be agreed with what task that he has given us. Let me read the first sentence again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. Again, I'll just feel free to criticize society. I don't think many will disagree with me too much when I do it. It's entirely one thing to present what's right, what's true. I'll even say in scare quotes, the science. But it's entirely something different to actually do and obey 
and act according to those things. And sometimes we just deceive ourselves because we've identified the truth and done absolutely nothing about it. And that's really dangerous. We should obey. We should do the things that God wants us to do. And we are empowered to do that once we are saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when we have individuals who are saved, they are a new creature. They have a renewed mind, a renewed heart that is on the things of God. And it is then our responsibility as new followers of Christ to habitually, continuously walk daily doing the things that God wants us to do. And because we are new and because the sin has left our lives, we are equipped to go out and do that. Doesn't mean it's easy, but we certainly have the tools to do it. If we do not obey, listen closely, if we know what we're supposed to do and we do not obey, then Christ's question in Luke is certainly applicable. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? As I said, obedience isn't easy, but it's always right. And the Bible tells us that we'll be blessed for our obedience. Maybe not blessed in the way we want necessarily, but blessed nonetheless. And walking with God as Enoch did implies not only there's an agreement, but there's an obedience to do as the Lord tells us to do. That's, I think, part of what we get out of this first section in Genesis. But Enoch comes up again in Hebrews, and you can turn there if you'd like to. Hebrews chapter 11. As I mentioned, Enoch is only mentioned a few times in We don't know a whole lot about him. Hebrews chapter 11, you may recognize this. Sometimes it's called the um, Hall of Faith, where we are given examples of all those who've gone before who exemplified tremendous, powerful faith in their lives. Hebrews 11, verse 5 through 6, read as follows. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And there's a lot of people listed in this chapter, in this area. If you read all of it, you'll notice... That Enoch is the only one who has said, pleased God. Enoch diligently sought after the Lord and pleased him. So Enoch walked with God, and because of his obedience and because of what he did, he also pleased God. Now this should certainly be a goal of our lives. Not only to walk with the Lord, but to be obedient to him and to please him. And it's probably a question that we should all ask ourselves at least once a day, if not more than that. Maybe when we go to bed, maybe when we get up, did I please my Lord today? What will I do today to please my Lord? 
This is incredibly important that we are diligent in our pleasing of the Lord. Now, I do want to just mention real quick, in case anyone might get confused, I don't think Enoch was perfect. There's, there's no way that he was perfect. The Bible clearly tells us that there was only one who lived on this earth who was perfect and without sin, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Enoch made mistakes. Enoch messed up. Enoch was born of man, and the sin curse was passing through his blood. So he was not perfect. The difference is he was habitually trying to do the will of the Lord, and he did it so well that it pleased God. So don't think that Enoch was perfect. In fact, if you go back one chapter, in chapter 10, it gives us a clue for this. Chapter 10, verse 37 of Hebrews, it says, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so we see that Enoch never shrunk back away from the Lord. That the walk was always with God, toward God, following after God, walking next to God. It was never not only just the wrong direction, but he also never shrank back from following after the Lord. You ever shrank back? You ever the Lord kind of nudge you to do something and you're like, I'm not so sure. Saw quite a few faces. I'm mean, out to raise my hand. A couple of times. A couple of times in my life, I've said, God, I'm not really sure that's what you mean. Of course, that was my excuse to trying to make God like me. I knew full well what he meant. I just didn't like it. And there's a big difference. We must make sure that we do not shrink back away from God because that is displeasing to him. And if we want to glorify him, as we learned last week, then we must do what it is that he tells us to do. And that gives him great pleasure in us. And so the challenge of our time is not to shrink away from the very fundamental things that God has told us. And again, to bring our society into this today, we are more and more shrinking away from what the scripture clearly teaches. We are twisting it to say things that it never intended to say, that it does not in fact say, because we want to satisfy ourselves. And that is exactly backwards. As I mentioned, if we're going to walk with God, he is the one who's in charge. His is the lead, the stride, the direction that I am striving to follow, not my own. So what is it that he's told us that will please him? Well, as I've mentioned a couple of times, he's already told us what he wants. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we want to please God, then we must follow these two simple but not easy commands. To love God with everything that we have. All of my physical being, all of my mind, all of my soul, everything that I have, I should love God. And when I don't, that's a sin. We really like to see gray in our society. We like to say there's variations of sins, and to some degree that there is. But understand... If we are told to love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you do not do that, that's a sin. That's what kept me convicted when I got saved. 
18 years old, as I suddenly realized for the first time that I actually didn't love God, despite I'd said it over and over again, despite I spent my entire life growing up in church, I didn't actually truly love Him. And it broke my heart to the point that I sought Him and He saved me. So we must be very careful. He's told us what we're to do. Love Him. To glorify Him, as we learned about last week. To love others, to do His will. So if you want to please God, and we ought to, then we must love Him with all that we have, and we must love our neighbors. And so clearly we see that Enoch did this very well. And if you're hoping that the third section where I read about Enoch is like, you know, 17 points to please God, I don't have it. It's real simple. There's two. Love Him and love neighbors. But as I said... Simple doesn't mean easy. <clears throat> so we see that Enoch pleased God. And we see that his faith was important for this. In fact, without the faith, the scripture says it is impossible. Let me just read that again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so they should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, here's the important verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This ties in with the sermon I had a few weeks ago. Try one more time to seek him. Try one more time to find him. Try one more time to walk the right direction. Try one more time to please him. Diligently seek him and put your faith in him. It's not always easy. I think sometimes we misunderstand this and we think faith is easy. Faith is very, very hard when you don't, can't see, touch, taste, or feel God. We rely on those experiences to give us faith in the future. Every time I've sat in this pew over here, it's held me up. So my faith is that it's going to hold me up this time. But what if there was no pew and I had to have faith that I would sit down and nothing that I could see, touch, taste, or feel was going to hold me up? So that's the same type of faith we have in God that we don't necessarily see. We see the effects of God. We can feel Him sometimes through our hearts, but not necessarily physically. So faith is vital, faith is important, and without it, we will not please God. And so what that means is all the times that those who do not have faith come to church, don't get me wrong, we want you to come. I want you to hear the truth, I want you to hear the gospel, but God is not impressed by your church attendance if you don't have faith. All the good things you do for someone else, God is not impressed if you do not have faith in Him. All the nice things, all the money that you make, anything that you could possibly do, no matter how famous you are, how nice you are, God is not impressed if you do not have faith in Him. Because it is impossible to have faith in Him and to seek Him if you don't truly believe that He exists. So Enoch walked with God and he pleased God through his faith. I made a note here. I don't know if this is as profound as it sounded to me when I wrote it down. Faith results in obedience, or it is no faith at all. I'm trying to tie these two things together. Our faith results in our obedience to him, or it really isn't faith. 
like I said, we can go to church every Sunday. But if we don't have faith, it's not truly obedience. And it doesn't result in what we're looking for. Okay. So Enoch walked with God. He pleased God. The last thing that I find in Scripture that he did is he witnessed for God. He told the truth about God. And in this, we turn to the book of Jude. If you'd like an easy way to find it, find the very last book, Revelation, and go back one page. A little tiny. One chapter, only a few verses. The book of Jude. So I'll give you just a minute to find it, because if it gets stuck, stuck together, you're going to have a hard time turning there. So find Revelation and go back a page or so. Enoch is mentioned in Jude. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15. It says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is a very short verse, but what we see here is that Enoch, who walked with God, who pleased God, who was obedient to God, who had faith in God, also told others about God. Not only did he warn them then, but it said he prophesied about those who were to come, that we should be careful of those who were not obedient to God. It says four times in that verse, the ungodly. We must be careful of the ungodly. And as those who want to please God, who want to walk, God, walk with God and obey Him, we must warn others of the tragedy that comes if they do not obey God. It is our duty. It is our job, just like it was to Enoch. We must speak the truth to those who are around us. Now, this letter, uh, the book of Jude, this short letter here, is written to those who were having false prophets come into their church and teach them things that were contrary to the Scripture. And so this is also a reminder that those of us who know, who are walking with the Lord, who are pleasing God, must stand for the firm truth when it is an error in our church. This is very, very important. In fact, he describes the problem. He says in verse 16, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain an advantage. But then he goes on. I never like to leave you usually without a firm grasp for what to do. So maybe you, you are here today and you're realizing, well, I'd like to walk closer to God. I'd like to be more obedient. I'd like to please him. Well, here's some ways that Jude tells us we can do that. In verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is this who caused divisions Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. 
And so here we see some very clear things that we are to do if we want to be a witness to God, both verbally and by our lives. First, we are to remember the Scriptures. It is important to study the book that God has given us, the Holy Bible that we have here that is the revealed Word of God. We should study it on a recurring basis, a daily basis. We should try to memorize the Scriptures. This is important, and we are called to do this in verse 17. The other thing we should do in verse 18 through 19 is ignore the scoffers, the ungodly, the carnal, and those, those who are devoid of the Spirit. And so when we have people come to us who have not the Spirit of God, who want to tear us down, we should just simply ignore them. When we have people who are ungodly come to us, we should ignore them. When we have those who want to come and make fun of us and give us a hard time and lie to us, we should simply avoid those people as best that we can. Now, understand it doesn't mean that we necessarily slam the door in their face because if they are in our presence, then they become our neighbors and we should love them. But we should not entertain them and allow them to bring us down. And many, many times in our attempt to love other people, we have allowed the ungodly, the devoid of the spirit, the scoffers to get too close to us and to bring us down as well. This is a real danger. The other thing in verse 20 is we should pray. The Bible tells us in other places we should pray constantly at all times. We need to make sure we keep ourselves in the love of God. Verse 21, this is important too. Keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? We walk with Him on a daily basis. We also need to have mercy where it's needed. Now these last two verses that I read may be a little confusing, so let me try and explain them briefly and we'll come to a close. We need to have mercy on those who are worthy of mercy. This sounds like a judgment call. And to some degree it is. I think what this is talking about, when it's talking about snatching someone out of the fire, this is talking about someone who doesn't realize what they're doing or they're doubting or they're having a moment of struggle. And brothers and sisters, when we see another brother or sister who was walking into the fire and doesn't know it, we need to very quickly snatch them and pull them away. When we see someone who has let their mouth get ahead of their mind and their heart and say something that they shouldn't, we need to, in love, very quickly snatch them back to us. It's the same we would do, again, think about a child who is going to touch something hot. They don't know any better. They don't understand. Maybe they're even being a bit um, stubborn, but you grab the hand and you pull them away to help them, to have mercy on them. But we need to be very careful that we do not go so far to allow ourselves to become contaminated along with them. And you've probably heard stories about this. Someone who wanted to reach out to those who are in some type of deep sin, who are not just accidentally going to burn themselves, but are making a conscience decision to over and over again engage in a sin. If you are going to try and snatch them away, you had better have a strong faith. You had better be praying. You had better be remembering your scriptures. You had better be building yourself upon your faith and keeping yourself in the love of the Lord. What we cannot do is what this verse implies is begin to put on their immorality with us. And I have seen brothers and sisters, Christians over the years, who have tried so hard to reach out that they have become too much like those they are trying to reach. And this is something we should be concerned about. The New Living Translation 
translate this maybe in an easier way to understand. Verse 23, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Hating the sins that contaminate their lives. And so we take from this, again, just in summary, those who are uh, not necessarily in rebellion, but they're confused, they're suffering, they're not sure which way to go, and they make a poor decision. We need to immediately give mercy, snatching them away from where they're headed. But others, unbelievers, who contaminate themselves by the sin that they're in, need to be very careful not to be drawn in with them. And in fact, the image given here, sometimes we like to sugarcoat the Bible, and I guess I'm not going to do it this time. Sorry. It says, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. This is talking about your underwear. Let me be real clear what I think the Bible is trying to tell us. Don't put on someone else's dirty underwear. That sounds disgusting, and I get it. But that's exactly the image that the scripture is trying to get you to understand. And there are times that we are trying to engage the world so closely, we might as well put on their dirty underwear. We must be careful. We must be strong in the Lord if we are going to witness to those who need it. And brothers and sisters, if you see someone who's getting ready to put on the used undergarment, that's when you come up and snatch and say, whoa, it's too far. Get good intention. Come back here. This is how we are to live. We are in this world, but we are not to be contaminated by it. We are not to put on the dirty clothes that everyone wants to give us. Because what will happen is no one will be able to tell the difference between us and the world if we're wearing the exact same clothes that are filthy, dirty, covered in sin. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement to us today is to be Enoch Christians. To be like Enoch. To walk with God habitually every single day. Allowing Him to lead us, not my own path, but for Him. To please Him by being obedient to what He wants me to do. To love Him and to love other people. This is what is pleasing to God. This is the sacrifice that we are to give him. We no longer have animal sacrifices. That has been fulfilled. Instead, I am to sacrifice myself to love him and to love others. That is pleasing to God. And lastly, we are to witness to a lost and dying world. We are to snatch those who we can to show them mercy, pull them back from the fire. And if those who are well involved in a sin, we must be very cautious. We do not become like them putting on their old, dirty clothes and walking around. So my question, my challenge to you today is, what is your testimony? Do you please God? That's hard. Do you walk with God? Do you obey God? Do you witness for God. Because these are the things that Enoch did and did them so well with the help of the Lord, I might add, that God just took them away. 
Now, am I telling you today that if you do these things well enough, God will take you away and you won't die and you'll live 365 years till he comes and gets you? Not necessarily. You could. That's the wrong goal. The goal is to please him, to walk with him, to obey him, and to witness for him. And however long he gives you to do that, that is your goal. That is your testimony. And as I mentioned when I opened, for those of you who may be concerned, Enoch spent 65 years not loving him as well as he did the last 300 about 17, 20% of his life. Some of us have wasted more than 17% of our lives. Some of us aren't even there yet. The number is not the point. The point is how you're going to live today. The point is how you're going to live tomorrow. And so we pray that we would be Enoch Christians, that we would walk with God, that we would please him, they would witness for him. Join me in a word of prayer.